The word of the Lord from Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments de- depend all of the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Amen. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, who is the Lord, who is the Savior, who is the one who has um, redeemed us from ourselves, from our sin, from our rebellion against you, and the one who has called us your children. So in his name, Lord, we pray that you would be with us. In his name, we pray that you would teach us. In his name, we pray that you would help us to hear what you have said and believe it. We pray that you would help us to walk in word and action, thought and deed to follow you. Help us, O God. Help us. Lord, we confess this morning that we need a bigger vision of who you are. Not that you're not big enough, but that we don't look enough. So, Lord, help us to look to you. Lord, help us to look to you in such a way that the things of this world would grow. Strangely dim. Give us faith, please, O God. Give us conviction, please, O God. Stir us, please, we pray. Amen. Friends, it's great to see you all this morning. If you would, if you haven't done so yet, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, We'll be picking up in verse 34 where... Uh, Suzanne just read for us. If you're our guest today, thanks so much for being here. We're working our way through the book of Matthew, and, and particularly we're at this place where folks are, not folks, but Jewish religious leaders in particular are trying to trap Jesus and get him to say something that would undermine um, who he is and that would convey a lack of faith, would convey a lack of dependence upon the Lord, and most certainly they're looking for him to do something heretical that they can hold against him. So we've gone through a series of questions like, do you pay taxes or not? And um, what happens if a wife's married to seven brothers and they all die in the resurrection? And today's passage um, is a little clearer, perhaps, and a little more tangible. They, they want to, to trap Jesus by asking him this. What's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, I'll tell you in a minute why that question matters to us, but before we do that, let's, let's wrestle with this question. Why does it matter to Jesus? It matters for Jesus because they're trying to get him to say that portions of the law aren't important. They're trying to get him to make such a hierarchy that he says certain things which God have said are not important. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to speak right through their question uh, 
in a way that beautifully and clearly conveys priority for God's people in all places and all times. And so ultimately what this passage does for us is it tells us what God cares deeply about for us even today. So that should cause everyone's ears to perk up a bit. It tells us what God cares deeply about for us even today. Boils it down to two simple things. Love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor just as much as you want to be loved. Simple, cognitively, very challenging to live that out. So, warm fuzzies? Probably not today. Hard questions to wrestle with as we think about honoring the Lord in our living? You've come to the right place. But I think this is an important place for us to be. So if you want to take notes this morning, um, first point, what is my priority? Or I probably should say what is our priority, but we can play with that. You know what? You can write that down either way you want to. You're free, okay? It works both ways. The question to Jesus is this, what commandment in the law is the most important, or what commandment in the law has the greatest value? Now, the theology nerds of the day love to get together and debate this question. Like, let's make hierarchies, and let's take commandments, and let's put them in categories, and let's put categories above categories, and and Let's have things to argue about and, and, and fight about. And I don't think first century Jews had tweed jackets or handmade pipes from Britain. But if they did, this is the group for that crowd. And if you have a tweed jacket and a handmade pipe from Britain, I commend you. And we'll talk later. But, the, but so for... Before Jesus, this is a trap question. It's trying to get him to take what God has said and, and elevate some things. And by elevating some things, he's pushing down some things, right? And it's a trap to try to get him to take important things Jesus said and said, well, that's not so important. But what Jesus does is he looks through the total law and says, we can summarize it in these two commands. So I'm not going to push any of it down. I'm actually going to push all of it up, and I'm going to tell you how to process and think and prioritize these things. So the question to Jesus, what commandment in the law is most important? What commandment in the law is of greatest value? Perhaps the question for us, the same question could be phrased for us in this way. What does God desire from his people? What does God desire from us? What does God desire from me? Because in answering this question, Jesus is also telling us this is what the Lord desires. So Jesus merges two answers to one question into one answer. And he's going to do so by quoting from two particular scriptures. So verse 37, he said to them, the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said to them, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. Quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you see what Jesus has done? He says, first, love the Lord your God with everything. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the foundation that holds up the whole law. So all these debates about where you put all the different things in, in categories, it's all held up by this. Love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is effectively saying to first century Jews, here's a grid to wrestle with all the law. Am I loving the Lord with everything? And am I loving my neighbor in the way that I would long to be loved? He's effectively giving a grid to them to say, this is how you walk in a lawful, God-honoring way. You, you let these two questions be your guide. Have you ever wondered why half the churches in America have as a mission statement, love God, love people? It's because of this. You know what? It's not wrong. We don't have it, but that doesn't make them wrong, and that doesn't make us any more right. Our general approach here at Redeemers, if you can't think of anything creative, just steal a Bible verse and claim it. Here you go. If you think of something creative, you might ought to just steal a Bible verse and claim it. And I just got the first amen in like a month and a half over purpose statements for churches. Cool, thank you. But let's remember this. The purpose of law, the purpose of the law of Moses was never to tell people how to earn their way into the kingdom of God. The purpose of law, the purpose of Moses was to Tell God's people how God desires his people to relate to God and relate to God's world as the people of redemption and as the people of hope. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are not law given to earn. They're not law given to give yourself a report card. If by report card you mean whether or not God loves you. And all the educators in the room are like, oh man, I'm going to have to work that back. But rather, they're directional statements. This is the path that the Lord would want us to walk in. 
And so as long as we're human, as long as we're fallen, as long as sin is real and the world is struggling against sin and death, we must proclaim this. Christians are free from law-keeping to earn God's grace. Comma, capital A, capital N, capital D, and we are called as the people of grace to walk in God's ways. So we're not free from law to earn God's salvation so that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want it. Rather, we're free from earning so that we can bask in the love of God and walk with Jesus. And so effectively what Jesus is saying here is, this is how I'm calling on you to follow me. Here's two pillars. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Second thing that we must wrestle down, such guidance from Jesus is a blessing. It is a blessing. And the more our hearts are hardened toward guidance and the more our hearts are hardened toward being told what to do, the more passages like this frustrate us rather than what they ought to do, which is invite us into the better way. And invite us into the better path. So what I want to do is invite you and invite me and invite us into the better path. So that pushes us to the second point, which, which is basically this. What does all this mean? These are just a bunch of churchy words. What do they mean? So the second point, I'm calling learning to love. Well, why did I call it learning to love? Well, we're called to love God and love our neighbor. And so ultimately, if these are to be a way of life, then there's a learning to love God and a learning to love neighbor that the Lord is calling us to. So how do we learn to love God consistently? And how do we learn to love our neighbor Thoroughly. These are questions for us to wrestle with. And so we're going to wrestle with them now. And I think this is where we'll see the rubber meet the road. First, Jesus said in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So in this case, to love God means this. To seek the glory and honor of God in all things. To love God, we could define as this. To seek to honor and glorify God in all things. So sin would be a failure 
to honor and glorify God. Rampant disobedience to God would be a failure to honor and glorify God. Putting our fingers in our ears metaphorically or in reality and saying, I will not listen to you would be a failure to honor and glorify God. But you can turn all those the other way to listen, to yield, to submit, to believe, to follow, to serve, to obey. These would all be loving and glorifying God. Now that, that's just like definition talk. That feels good, right? Now notice the breadth with which Jesus is calling us to do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So this would be a, a, a case here where intentionally Jesus is saying, all means all. Like, love the Lord your God with all of who you are. Now, I don't think Jesus is trying to make some theology of humanity where we have to separate everything out into heart and soul and mind. Um, Because there's other places in Scripture we'd have to separate everything out into body, soul, and spirit. And then we'd have 17 categories, and that would give us something else to argue about. Rather, I think what Jesus is saying is we don't withhold any of who we are from the Lord. We love him in all the realms. But notice also, all the realms include thinking, feeling, responding. We don't hold any of that back from the Lord. So if we want to love the Lord, meaning to give him honor and glory in all things, that will include our thinking. Our thinking. And I think if we're only using the, the breakdown of heart, soul, mind, like, like a lot of our self-talk, like we all talk to ourselves, let's just admit it. Here's a beautiful thing about living in an AirPod culture. You can talk to yourself in your car and people just think you're on the phone. You can talk to yourself walking down the street and people think you're just on the phone. Just on the phone. Just pop on those little white things in, pray out loud, talk. Everybody's okay with it. Or don't, and I'll still be okay with it, but other people might think you're crazy. But, but, but I'm simply saying, our self-talk, I believe, falls under mind here. Um, and so with all of our thinking and our talking and our worrying and our struggling, turn all of that to the Lord to seek his glory and his honor. And if you're not at a place where you can do that right now, ask him to help you. Because we're not doing this to perform for his love. We're doing it to walk in the path of his blessing. Heart, that doesn't mean just your feelings. Because I say the word heart and all the men in the room are like, you're done. You're like, I'm not listening anymore. This just went hallmark on me and I'm done. It's not a good response. I'll say that, but heart means the place where all the decisions are made and the place where things move to action. And Jesus is saying, with that, yield to God. Soul. With not just the physical, visible pieces of you, but all of you. 
So, so ultimately what Jesus is saying is if, if, if you want to walk in the way of the law of Moses, then walk in this way. All of you is for the honor and glory and praise of God. Now, it's as simple as saying that, right? Right? All of me is for the honor and praise and glory of God. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to get in the car. And my family and my life is never going to be the same. But it's a struggle. It's a battle. But it's one worth waging to say, I'm going to give all of me. I'm going to give all of me for the love of God. And friends... This requires us to meet with the Lord in the ways that he's promised to reveal himself to us. So in the scripture, in prayer, among his people, we say, I'm going to seek the glory of God in all things. Now, this is a glorious time of the year because college football has started And most college football teams have something in their locker room that says something like, we give our all, right? God's chosen and elect team, the Tennessee Vols, has a big banner that says, give my all for Tennessee today. And we understand that, right? That means like I'm going to go out there and and do really dangerous things to give my all Tennessee today. I'm going to hold nothing back. We understand that in an athletic context. So we don't have to do stupid and dangerous things for Jesus. He might call us to some dangerous things. But I think we get it in that context. Like, I'm going to give my all to the Lord. I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to give my all for the glory of the Lord. I'm going to hold nothing back. Um, Guys, I, I believe very deeply in Time in scripture, time in prayer. Um, I refuse to use the phrase quiet time. Don't know why. just doesn't sit right with me. Um, I believe deeply in that. But we don't just love God when we're alone in a dark room trying to meet with him. Because he's everywhere. He's Lord of everything. He reigns over all things. And so one of the things many of us probably need to do if we're going to take this calling seriously is to learn to relate to the Lord in our cars and at work and at school and in all other realms of life because he's there and he's leading us and he's meeting with us and his spirit is in us. So Jesus says the great commandment is to love your Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second like it Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, um, this one, this one's challenging too. Because notice what Jesus says. Love your neighbor. Well, first question would be, who's my neighbor? Because the more narrowly I can define neighbor, the more joyful this passage might be for me. 
Well, Jesus did something in Luke chapter 10, which, which took the definition of neighbor from very narrow to inescapable. And basically what Jesus says, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. He says this, Anybody who God places near you in your sphere who has a need is your neighbor. Anybody who God places in your sphere, so in the parable it was on the road, who has a need is your neighbor. And Jesus says the whole law calls upon God's people who are loved by God and love God to likewise let that love flow to others. Everyone whom God puts in our sphere and has a need, be it physical or emotional or financial or all the realms. Show love. All right, so you can't escape this by a narrow definition of neighbor because Jesus has now blown that up to say, whomever God in his providence puts in your way, who has a need is your neighbor. Okay, okay. So maybe the second way I can snake out of this, how much do I have to love them? How much do I have to love them? And Jesus does a little jujitsu on us that just hurts. He says this. What you want, your preferences, they're not your guide for your day, but rather they're the guide for how much you should love your neighbor. Love your neighbor that much. And one of the biggest problems we have in society today is we all want to love what we want. We all desire to love our desires. We all desire to follow our desires. And what Jesus says is, yeah, yeah, follow your desires as a way to shape how much you love your neighbor. As a way to shape how vastly you respond to the needs of those who are around you. And friends, this love of neighbor, like, I don't think it's, it's merely financial. I don't think it's, I mean, we're not talking about money. We're talking about show concern, show compassion, show care, show love as far as you would want to be loved if you had that struggle. I mean, have your kids ever come to you and been like, Mom, I need a triple cheeseburger. Well, it's midnight. Well, I know, but I need a triple cheeseburger. Like, so sometimes as parents, we have to do this, this double speak, like triple thinking like, oh, you're saying you're hungry. Well, I'll give you this to eat. We don't, we're not going to do triple cheeseburgers at midnight, right? So, so Jesus isn't saying give to everyone what they say they want. Rather, he's saying respond to the needs of those that God has put around us in a way that displays the love and care of God. This type of neighbor love would be to seek the eternal good of another in all things. Seek the eternal good of others in all things. We, as the people of God, don't get to pull our chests out 
and demand our rights as much as we get to humbly like our Savior, see the needs of others, and respond by seeking their eternal good through the need that is in front of us. How far do we go in that? As far as we would like to be loved in that moment. It seems that Jesus knows how much we love ourselves and that that would be a faithful guide. So Christians, the good news is God is not condemning us for our lack of perfect love toward him or perfect love toward neighbor. So we can all exhale. The good news, though, is also that the Lord is inviting us to walk a path that navigates this world by asking the question, how can I love the Lord and how can I love my neighbor as one who's been loved by the Lord and cared for by the Lord deeply? These are two questions that should guide us as we go forward. My final thought here is this, Christians. There is enough gray area around these things that that we may not all land on the exact same answers to every question. And that's okay. But we need to all be walking the path of life asking the same two questions. And praying for the Lord to give us wisdom in these two areas as we make decisions, as we act, as we speak, as we think, as we move forward. And we're free to do so because of what Christ has given to us, done for us. If you're here today and you're not a a Christ follower, maybe you're even wondering, like, what's this Christianity thing all about? Here's what it's about. Jesus, the Son of God, has lived and died and risen again that broken, sinful people could be loved by God and called the children of God and freed from the clutches of sin and death. And what Christ has done can be extended to you if by faith you would cry out to him and ask him to redeem you, to save you. And we as the church, have been commanded by Jesus to live in such a way that we elevate his goodness and his love and his mercy and his compassion. And we celebrate that in what we do and we say. So we would invite you to consider this Jesus today. So now our Father and our God, We pray you would take these words which have been spoken by Jesus and cause us to hear them and receive them and respond to them. We pray that you would make us a people who walk in your ways and on your path of blessing. For the glory and honor of your name. Please, Lord, speak to each of us, convict each of us, stir each of us to follow you 
walk in your ways. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.